Welcome to Investor Insights, the wealth management podcast where we address investor needs, help you enhance your financial situation, and explore all parts of a person's financial life. And now, the host of Investor Insights, Mike Williams. Hello there and welcome. It's Mike Williams of Genesis and uh, welcome back to Investor Insights. Uh, This episode, we're really going to cover the last... uh, week or two of activity in the markets because obviously people are uh, concerned that the multi-year bull market is over, that the world is ending again, that uh, some horrible monster has reared its ugly head again and uh, obviously that must be why the stock market has sold off in August. First a couple of things, Uh, if you'll recall Uh, a few episodes ago, as the summer was beginning, we talked about the idea that the ideal time to take advantage of a summer swoon would probably be, and I'm quoting here, the latter stages of August, the deepest part of the summer haze when the fewest people are paying attention. Obviously, we didn't know that would happen, but after 33 years of watching summers go by, they often kind of parallel each other. Not exactly, but there's a pattern to them. The fact that we had been in a trade range for months before this summer began uh, provided a little bit of um, a longer view of the of the emotion of the crowd. And remember. Uh, it's it's funny. Emotions drive so many uh, decisions that uh, most people forget that you're doing it based on emotion. Um, so before we get going, I wanted to cover a few thoughts to kind of get in the back of your mind. These are from others. These are from, from, from some very wise investors who have made fortunes from the stock market. So we can take from them a little bit of wisdom as a backdrop to what we're watching right now in the markets. The first quote comes from Peter Lynch, uh, who, as you may recall, ran the Fidelity uh, Magellan Fund forever and made a fortune um, for any investor that went along with him while he was in the business. Uh, Okay, so his quote is, you get recessions you have stock market declines. If you don't understand that's going to happen, then you're not ready. You won't do well in the markets. And when I'm thinking of that comment, I often try to think of uh, another comment that came from Warren Buffett. Uh, And that was this, look at market fluctuations as your friend rather than your enemy. Profit from folly rather than participate in it. Now, what do you think Warren meant by that? Well, keep in mind, Warren's been doing this for 50 years. So he's probably seen a few recessions and a few crashes and a few setbacks and lots of bear markets. And you know what? They were all lower than where we are right now, which means, as he has always said, that the future is always brighter than the past. We just get afraid of it. Another guy who runs a very substantial hedge fund, his name is Seth Klarman. He's made a ton of money. 
Uh, here's a comment from him. The stock market is the story of cycles and of human behavior that is responsible for overreactions in both directions. Keyword there, of course, being human behavior. Here's another. This is from Ben Graham. In the old legend, the wise men finally boiled down the history of mortal affairs into a single phrase. And here's the key. This too will pass. And then, of course, one of the more well-known comments from Baron Rothschild, the time to buy is when blood is running in the streets. Warren Buffett sort of hinted at the same thing without the mention of blood when he constantly says, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Now, anyone who's been following our podcast or our morning notes will recognize that the crowd is as fearful today as they were in March of 2009. Now, it only took about 2,000 points of setbacks off of 18,400 on the Dow uh, to scare them as badly as they felt when the Dow was 7,000 back in 2009. Strangely enough, even after our summer swoon and nerve rattling from China, even after that, we are double, more than double, where we were in 2009. Yet, the crowd in every registration, mutual fund outflows, how quickly they're selling, how much cash they're raising, and their sentiment surveys, the crowd is as afraid today as they were in March of 2009, when the world really did look like it was ending. So listen, after the break, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what's really scaring people now and we're going to understand more clearly how foolish it is to worry about China. Be back in a minute. Okay, welcome back. Uh, we're here at Investor Insights. It's Mike Williams with Genesis. Um, let's talk about China. Obviously, that is the news, right? Uh, we, we can't forget that just weeks ago, the news wasn't anything about China, right? I mean, do you remember anything about China? All it was about was Greece. You do remember that, right? I mean, every other word was Greece the debt program, whether they're going to be kicked in or, in or out of the Eurozone. Are they going to keep the Euro? Are they going to go back to the drachma? Are they going to go bust? Is their entire economy going to collapse? Are their banks ever going to open again? Remember all that? I mean, that was what we were afraid of, right? And that was just weeks ago. That was the middle of the summer. Not late August. It was the middle of summer. Now, during the middle of summer, Whatever we're afraid of right now about China, I promise you, was already happening. And here's the dirty little secret. Whatever we're afraid about concerning China has been happening for years. 
They've been slowing down for years. We warned people of that just as the decade was getting started. And look what's happened now. They've consistently gone lower and lower and lower in their activity. That's going to continue to happen. That is not the end of the world. Remember, China represents exports from our country of about 1% of our GDP. That's about $180 billion. Now, I want you to realize something. Two Mondays ago, we erased 1,100 points on the Dow. The equivalent dollar amount of that market capitalization was equivalent to 5% of our GDP. So in one emotional day, we erased from our own pocketbooks, sheerly out of fear, five times the amount of business we export to China on a yearly basis. We did five years worth of damage in one six-hour session. So I know these numbers are all substantial and they're staggering at times, but you must remember them as they are, just as percentages of the whole. And I assure you, we get our benefit from China when they do slow down, when their costs fall, when commodities drop, we do better. Why? Because we make a lot of stuff. Yes, we sell stuff, and yes, our guys in the oil business are getting hurt, but you know what we're going to talk about in a couple years? We're going to talk about how they're making money on lower oil prices. Excuse me. Why? They'll get better. They'll get better technology. They'll get more effective in their cost structure. They'll find oil better and more productively with better technology. They'll make money at 50 bucks a barrel. We've said it for a while now. We were, we were talking about this when oil was $110. We said, look, the new range is 30 to 80. And when it collapses, don't be surprised. That's okay. Not to worry. Be assured of this one thing. When you hear everybody telling you about, oh my God, commodities are collapsing, it must mean the economies are doing terrible. No, that's not what happened. What happened was in 1998, we were the first people in a publication that was read by the public. It was a Barron's interview. It was called Loaded Guns. And while everybody at the time was worried about their tech stocks, we said one thing, buy commodities because they're going to explode. And then for the next 10 years, they did. And anybody in the business of producing commodities, miners, gold guys, iron guys, steel guys, copper guys, oil guys, anybody who produces that stuff, flooded the market with it. Now, just because you eventually get too much of something does not necessarily mean the economies are slowing down if they don't use as much as you produce. Just in every bubble, every time something rises, if you are a producer of it, if that price will rise far enough, everybody and their brother will produce as much as you possibly can of that product while you're getting the highest price. That makes sense, right? That's, that's logical. 
But here's the thing. Eventually, no matter what the demand is, the supply outstrips it. If everybody and their brother is growing every ounce of soybeans they can possibly plant while the soybeans are expensive, you know what people do who use soybeans or oil or copper or iron or steel or you name it, whatever that you fill in the space, just think it through logically. If you are a user of an expensive item, what do you start doing at your conference table each morning? You start saying to yourself, how can we get more productive? How can we use a little less of this stuff? Hey, is there a replacement product we could use? Is there some way we could offset our costs? Can we use a little bit less of copper for every foot of pipe? You start thinking about using less, and then what you do when it gets cheap again is you go back to using more. That's just the way it is. What do you think about when you buy an oil, when you fill your tank, and it's $75 to fill your tank, you think to yourself, wow, it's getting pretty expensive to drive around a lot. And then when it's 20 bucks to fill your tank, what do you think about? You don't think about anything. You think about going to the mall. It's all logic. Don't let your fears terrify you. It's enough. It's ridiculous. It's not productive. And you know what? It costs you money every time. Remember, China, 1% of our GDP. Keep that in mind. It's not the end of the world. If you're in China, it might hurt. If you sell a lot of stuff to China as a percentage, it might hurt. But us, it's not hurting us. So after the break, let's take another quick break. After the break, we're going to talk about some good things that are happening that no one is paying attention to. We'll be right back. It's Mike Williams again. Welcome back, Investor Insights. And uh, listen, what are we going to talk about now? Look, sure, the market has gotten uh, hammered a bit. That's good news. You know why? That gets you cheaper stuff. That's why we talked about it at the beginning of summer. Let's keep our cash levels high. The trade range is probably going to fake everybody out and break down to the downside first. We talked about it repeatedly. And the key is we got to be able to make sure we understand that when everybody is bored stiff and it's summertime, you can darn well bet you're going to get some selling pressures. So what is the good stuff that everybody's missing? I'm going to kind of give you a sense. Um, well, think about this. First, a couple of funny points. Um, while the masses tremble over every word out of China, and by the way, that might last for a while. Hell, it might take another month or two before that wears off. Eventually it will, but uh, invest while they're terrified. But, but while everyone waits for every pulse out of China, and they shouldn't, but while they do, I thought you might find some of this stuff kind of funny. 
I was, uh, as you might guess, up early watching uh, the financial channels. I like to watch them just to see what they say to the public because they are so misleading that it, uh, it's, it, if it wasn't uh, so sad, it would be funny. But um, China had already closed at this particular time. The talking head on the TV screen at the time reported this. China's market continued to gyrate in treacherous waves. At one point, it was down over 4% overnight, on top of the 6% correction yesterday, as economic problems crushed stocks again. Now, keep in mind, her emphasis was just as mine was. It was on crushed and treacherous. She went on in a barely audible whisper to finish that thought with this, but they closed down less than 1% as stocks rallied back to finish the day. Kind of funny, don't you think? So the funny part? Well, listen, a flashing graphic was behind her on the TV screen the entire time. And I, as you might guess, was struck by one part of the graphic. It had a number, and then it had the word volume. Now, you know our markets trade billions and billions of shares a day. The grand total on the screen for China that night was 526,977 shares. Yep, a little bit north than half a million shares changed hands on the China exchange overnight. Now, this country we have been convinced to fear was able to trade a grand total of less than 600,000 shares on their stock exchange. The country we've, been con we've, we've convinced ourselves is somehow the linchpin of the global economy, did less than a million shares on their exchange, and the world trembles. More bad news? Well, not really. But even more comical, right after sharing that terrible news out of China, this nice lady went on to the next news article in her script. It was about the latest pace of mortgage applications for a home here in the paltry little economic pothole we call the United States. The news? Hey, it was good. There was a year-over-year -year increase in mortgage applications of a whopping 11.7%. That is staggeringly large as a percentage increase from the year before. Seems that home builders are, quote, finding a new wave of young buyers, unquote. Can anyone spell Gen Y with me? We've talked about them for months. We're going to talk about them for decades. Even funnier, well, look, the next guy that was interviewed on that particular section of the news was the guy who runs AutoNation. Nice guy, really sharp, runs the company very well. AutoNation is a big car dealer here in the States, and he was interviewed next. His info, well, more quote-unquote terrible stuff. Seems August turned out to be a fine month to sell cars. Quote, we're hitting an annual rate close to 18 million cars annually, an industry record. We see these levels steadily ahead for the next several years, unquote. He went on to remind everyone listening, and I'm quoting here, we have 250 million cars on the road in the United States. 
The auto companies have a spectacular lineup of fantastic new cars coming to the buying audience, technologies that many will continue to embrace. And here's the kicker. The average car is still 11.4 years old on the road today. As such, we expect demand to remain near record levels in the industry for years to come as the younger generation begins to move into the marketplace demanding those new technologies. I say again, can you spell Gen Y with me? And by the way, just to cap this little section off, the average daily volume on the stock of AutoNation alone is roughly four times the number of shares traded on the Chinese stock exchange the evening in question. Think about that. One of our stocks trades on average four times the volume that everyone is fearing out of China. Listen, here's the important facts. Repeat after me. I will hope for more chop, angst, and confusion in the market. I will hope for weeks of lowered expectations and rising concerns. I will hope for a retest of lows, maybe even a washout to cleanse the market. I will use this period of fear and angst to put capital to work while everyone else is afraid, as long as it fits my plan, because that's why I had the cash. I will gain confidence in the idea that the next 30 years is going to be far better than we perceive. So look, I'm going to, in the next section, the final section of today's episode, uh, right after this break, I'm going to go over a uh, letter that was written to investors uh, from my old partners in New York City. Great, great investors. Uh, the founder who uh, was my partner and I looked up to a great deal, taught me just tremendous amount of knowledge, uh, passed on wonderful thoughts and lessons. I'm going to read a letter that he sent to clients and uh, you'll get a sense of uh, the theme that we ought to pay attention to as long-term investors. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Mike Williams here at Investor Insights. Uh, thanks for staying with us. So I'm going to close the episode today with a, uh, I'm going to read a letter that was sent out by uh, the guys I was partners with, still work with them a lot. Uh, New York City managed billions of dollars, have for decades, huge amounts of wisdom in these guys. I was one of the 12 partners. They are spectacular at what they do. So the title of his letter was, Keep Calm and Carry On. He starts out this way, If it bleeds, it leads, the old saying goes, and indeed, royal equity markets have been front page news every day for a couple weeks now, butting their way into the final days of summer vacations everywhere. 
memories of the 2008-2009 crisis, the 2000.com bubble burst, and even the 1997 Asian contagion are still fresh in most investors' minds. So severe fluctuations like the ones we have been lately raised, we have seen lately, raise legitimate concerns. Under the circumstances, one can be forgiven for putting down his book and trying to figure out what's going on. Now, we believe there are many reasons to be pessimistic. Weak U.S. political leadership and the very real prospect of continued weak leadership leading to global entropy, stifling and misguided regulations, the highest corporate tax rates in the developed world, policies that encourage companies to relocate and list elsewhere, climate proposals with potentially damning economic consequences, unaccountable federal agencies, out-of-control federal spending, vast public debt from social program supports, religious fanatics in charge in too many places, and the seemingly inept in charge elsewhere. But all these things have been true for a long time, and they didn't prevent markets from rising. China has been something of a Madoffian con game for some time, indicating expectations for X percent of growth at the beginning of the quarter, and by and large, printing that exact number at the end of it. People seem, finally, to be getting wise to that. Few believe U.S. numbers, much less theirs. To us, a weaker yuan is no reason for our markets to react negatively. A slower Chinese economy and a weaker renminbi make both our commodities and our imports cheaper. To the extent that a rising China has been something of a military or diplomatic concern, a weakened China should alleviate some of the problem now. Nor do we believe the prospect of a modest rate hike justifies a market panic. Markets have been more than richly valued in the past when there were much higher interest rates than there are now or in the foreseeable future. <clears throat> what do we do now? What, what do we do not have now is an overleveraged financial sector as it was back in 2008 and 9. We expect there will be bankruptcies in the energy sector if the government allows it. And since this is not a politically well-connected industry, unlike, say, autos or banks, they probably will. But we don't see a repeat of the earlier financial crisis because simply this isn't one. The U.S. economy, growing at the historically anemic pace of the post-crisis years, just hasn't created the kinds of excesses that lead to a recession. As Nobel economist Paul Samuelson famously once said, the stock market has predicted nine of the last five recessions. Our biggest worry is actually that the government steps in again to, quote, help, unquote, as it did in 2008 and 9, making things worse. With the Fed backed into a corner of its own making, an overhaul of the tax and regulatory environment is what is deeply needed. But that doesn't seem likely given the current political administration. These things always go on longer than one expects, but we would not be surprised to see some kind of rally by year end. By then, increasingly, the markets will be focusing on the 2016 elections. 
While the current headlines surrounding the race for president aren't particularly encouraging, it is hard to see how investors won't be cheered by the prospect of a regime change that is almost certain to be less hostile towards business than the one currently in place for the past eight years. In the interim, dislocations of this magnitude can present investors with an opportunity to purchase sound businesses at attractive prices, and that is where our focus is now. So replay that part of the podcast, if you will. Replay the whole podcast, but here's the key. In summary, don't fear China. Take advantage of the fear others are projecting onto our future. Our economy just finished a 3.7% annual GDP growth rate, literally announced in the last three weeks. While everyone was terrified about China, Remember, China is 1% of our GDP as to business we do with them. What they're suffering from benefits us. Cheaper commodities, cheaper costs, cheaper raw materials. All of that benefits us. It doesn't hurt us. You will notice a few quarters from now when businesses produce their earnings results that their margins will likely have increased because their costs dropped. So keep that in mind the next time someone fearfully asks you, what did the China market do overnight? Thanks again for your time. Until our next episode together, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant. Have a great day.